Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I am really, really happy to have the wonderful Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD, on the show to talk about their wonderful and amazing new book, Raising Resilient and Compassionate Children. Thank you both for making time to come back again and speak to me about this <laughs> beautiful book. Oh, we're so happy. I'm so happy to be here. I don't want to speak on behalf of you, Marion, but thank you, Joss. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, it's going to be tricky, isn't it? I, we, you can speak for me, am I? Are okay. You happy for me to speak for you? <laughs> yes, darling. We, we, are, <laughs> we are a collective with this book. Yes. <laughs> yes. We love, we love being on your podcast, Joss. Mm. So thank you for inviting us back again and for all your support and sharing and, and all the things that you've done to actually support us with this book, including reading through it and all your copious comprehensive notes and offerings that you shared. So thank you so much. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. So I'm not really even going to bother introducing you because I presume that everybody who's listening must know who you are. But just in case you don't know, Marion and Layla are both amazing. And that's probably enough to say really about you. And you can share your offerings at the end in case people don't know where to find you. But you have just written this amazing book. And so congratulations, first of all, to both of you, because it really is such a beautiful and powerful book. I think it's really a life-changing book actually for people to read and I'm so happy for you both that it's been so well received and for it to have been number one on Amazon in families and parenting and new releases it's just so incredibly exciting and I think what I love most about the book is this tone of compassion and connection that is so unique that I've never read in any other parenting book so I think that's just fabulous and I love how you offer such a sense of support and the themes that run through the book of parents being like their own authority and listening to ourselves and following what resonates for us and and removing all that harsh cultural conditioning of like needing to do parenting right and instead just to support the readers to deepen their understanding of of our children's needs and feelings and behavior as well as our own too so I highly recommend this book. I've read it three times now. And even after doing Aware Parenting for 16 years, I still learn lots of new things each time I read it. So thank you. And uh, I suppose just to start about, you know, why why did you write the book? What, what were you hoping? We don't really know. Do we? It's, like, it's like the podcast. It's uh, just by the time we were writing it, I don't, we don't remember, well, I don't remember who, what the original thought was or where the idea came from. It's just like we were doing it and then we went, oh, okay, we're doing this, are we? Yes, okay. <laughs> so mm. that, that's my answer. You might have a more clear answer. Yeah, I think it was, <laughs> I, I know we've both discussed this, whose idea was it for a podcast and whose idea was it for a book? And we both don't know. <laughs> it kind of just mutually <laughs> happened. Uh, but I think it was, um, I think because we we were surprised at how many people were listening to the podcast and we realised that there was an audience there. And and I think we wanted to take Aletha's wonderful work and bring it um, in kind of just all in the one place for people to to get a big picture of what it is. But also I think it was bringing in some of our own work that we've learnt over the years through Aware Parenting and um, folding that in. And, yeah, it was just – and, look, for me even personally, like I've always wanted to write a book but I never thought I was a good enough writer. And so then when when we were doing it together, I was like, oh, Marion is very articulate and she's very good with grammar so she can correct everything that I do. Uh, and and that was one of the conversations we had right in the beginning, Marion. We were talking about what are our fears in writing the book and I was like, well, I don't think I'm very good at writing and this, this and this. And we both shared what our thoughts were and then realised, oh, no, we can do this beautifully together. So it was, for me also personally, it was such a – beautiful way to write a book it's given me confident to confidence to write more uh, to just tell stories and do it in a way that um that has you know hopefully landed with people and I, I really love Joss as you're saying that it's such a compassionate book because that's so important to both of us and that is probably the the main feedback we're getting from a lot of people of how compassionate it is and that um yeah that really touches me because we want parents to feel that because it's big mm. it's challenging being parents so 
to um, for them to feel that while they're reading it is yeah is amazing. Mm, so nice. So uh, you explain early on in the book about how our childhood experiences, as well as the intergenerational trauma that is passed down to us and being part of this sort of big cultural conditioning, all feed into the paradigm of the current sort of mainstream parenting culture, which is so much about disconnection and power over and focuses on like getting our children to to do as they're told and to be independent and using punishments and coercion and shame and all that kind of thing. And this sort of presumption that we need to be taught to be good and we are therefore inherently bad or our children are. And one of my quotes from the book is, one of the fundamental pieces that is missing in many parenting philosophies is the understanding that a child's external state is a reflection of their internal world. All behaviour is attempting to communicate something. Can you talk a bit more about that? You, do you want to go, Marion? Or because uh, you know, so much of that is, you know, I think so. So much of your beautiful work, you know, underpins, you know, that. Mm, thank you. I think what aware parenting really invites us to do is to fundamentally change our core beliefs about human beings, and I think that's one of the most powerful things that it does. And you know, for me, that's that was my experience with my babies and and my children is that uh, basically I came into aware parenting really wanting to listen to as many of their feelings as I could. So I didn't come in more from wanting a particular behavioural outcome, and because I started when they were babies as well, that wasn't such an issue. And then I found, lo and behold, to my surprise, that by listening to as many feelings as I could it had this amazing effect that they were generally, particularly for those first years, really present and aware and calm and sleep was easy and they were cooperative and they were gentle. And so for me, that was the clearest like firsthand evidence and experience to say, oh my God, what I've believed about human beings, what I've been told all my life, what I've been taught in this culture that I call the disconnected domination culture, that we are inherently bad or wrong or evil, we do need to be shamed and punished, that all of these things are necessary because of who we really are, it was completely flipped on its head in a way that was in the evidence was incontrovertible. Is that the is that the word? Something like that. That whatever that word is, because it was it, it just was clear. It was so clear that you know, if they're agitated and antsy and they'd have a really big cry with my loving support, they would come out the other side calm and relaxed and present. So for, for me, that then supported a, a huge change in my understanding of all human beings in a way that could never be, I mean, I, it can keep changing more in that direction, but I, I could never go back in there to believing that we're inherently bad or wrong and there's something wrong with us. And I think when we have that experience as parents, even just once or multiple times, it really does shift a whole perspective of who we are as human beings and actually the cause of all uh, violence and harshness and all of those kinds of things in adults as well. So it changes our relationship with partners, friends, parents, you know, the person at the supermarket checkout. And that doesn't mean, of course, and that's what we talk about a lot in the book, that doesn't mean it's then easy to go, okay, we're all, you know, this is our true nature. Of course, we're not going to any, ever punish our child or be tempted to use power over any of those things. It's really, really hard to change conditioning. And the way I see it is that's because conditioning is designed to be passed on. That's inherently how culture survives is, you know, we internalize it when we're little so that we pass it on. That's great in a really healthy um, connected cooperative society but in the disconnected domination culture it's terrible it's terrible and it means it's really really hard for us it's it's designed to be hard to change as adults and do things differently so that's what I love to hold in mind number one that it changes our perspective entirely and number two it's designed to be hard so of course we need to be deeply compassionate with ourselves when it is hard mm. yeah I love that Lael Oh, I know. I just, I love how Marion sums that up, you know, and I think it also for me is, is why it's so vital to have community and to have people around who also understand this or perhaps want to parent in this way. Because as we're changing, as Marion's saying, these patterns and this conditioning, we have to see evidence of how it could look. And, and I think in my years of working with the way parenting and all the families we've worked with, when they see it in action and when they experience that compassion, when they experience the shift in children, when we listen to feelings, when they experience how 
how they can move their own stories and and then what what richness that brings them it actually helps them then to go yes this this feels true and i think we need evidence of it and we also need to see it in action and that's why community is so important i think to to help shift and change that and you know and and again i think that's why you know i feel so proud of the book that we've written because it does feel like a step towards changing making a paradigm shift for what parenting is you know we we see it moving tiny slowly tiny little bits but i'm thinking there's a big leap that we need to do and you know i I think that when we can take a stand for that and when we can show what that looks like and we can reach into others that also do it then we've got a much greater chance of of shifting it yeah Absolutely. I think this book is going to be a really powerful force in that big leap. So yeah, um, that's another reason why I'm so, I loved, I love it so much. And I think another thing that's important in that big leap is some of the other cultural misunderstandings that are so prevalent around children and their behavior and what they need. And you provide such a beautiful, clear description of, of why children get out of balance and about the relationship between thoughts, needs, feelings, and behavior. And I think this understanding is just such a game changer, isn't it, for parents, because we can then move from these sort of behavior control band-aid strategies that are so widely used instead to to learn to look underneath behavior and and to respond to behavior in a way that actually supports our children. What what would you like to say about, about that in terms of helping people to understand that connection between thoughts and needs and feelings and behavior? Look, I think um, for me personally, you know, I I came to aware parenting when my oldest was, you know, nearly eight. And so, you know, I'd had eight years of parenting three kids, you know, just making it up as I go along as we do, knowing that I didn't want to move into using punishments, but also not knowing what to do when my kids are upset. So I was probably very, very permissive. And understanding that piece around the why children are doing what they're doing is is just, I see it often with the families we work with or when I do a talk somewhere when they go, oh gosh, it's not because my child is naughty or it's not because they're trying to make my life hard or it's not because there's something wrong with them. They're actually, we have to just decode what they're saying. It's like I'm looking, I always say look behind the behavior of where we're decoding the language they're speaking to say, oh, there's something else going on here. And that that's such a big shift. And I love how you talk about it, Marion, because when we can when we can see it through the lens of, ah, oh, there's something going on, they're having a hard time, or there's a need that needs to be met here, or there's something that it needs to be expressed. It allows us then to move more into that compassion and that anchoredness to be able to meet them. Whereas if we are in that story of, you know, what is wrong with them and why are you making my life hard, it's really hard to reach for that compassion. And I think that's where information is so powerful. And, and you know, I feel like it is just such a fundamental piece for parents to understand and get to be able to then work with with this philosophy. Yeah, mm, and I'd love to add what what I love the clarity that really and that started off with Aletha's beautiful model of the reasons for children's um, you know, behaviors that we challenging that we find challenging the the thoughts, the needs and the feelings is that then when we have that clarity as parents it's almost like a little checklist that we can go through at times and so often of course in other styles of parenting it sticks to the information you know if your child isn't cooperating. You know, we we might so often find ourselves just saying it again and again and again, like, you know, be gentle, be gentle. I've told you to be gentle, be gentle, be gentle. We give it, you know, it hurts, you know, it hurts. We're giving information or we get louder. But if we think that uh, information and thoughts is the only reason for a child's behavior, then it's inevitably going to lead to us thinking, well, why, you know, they're not listening to me. Um, thoughts like, well, they're doing it deliberately. And then we're probably going to feel powerless and move into our own kind of power over. Whereas if we go, oh, okay, I've given them information. I've told them whatever it is I want them to know. They're still not cooperating or they're still doing X, Y, and Z. Okay, that's not information. But I've got these two other things I can go through on the list. You know, is there some unmet needs here that I I can meet? We can go through that. Or is it um, painful accumulated feelings or, or feelings in the present that they need to express that are causing that? behavior so it also gives parents this clarity about why uh you know what they can actually do what else they can do and what i love about it too is it's the same for us that those three things are so um affecting our behavior as parents and the same thing like we can read a book and have information about stuff and still end up 
uh, you know, being harsh or using coercion or being tempted to punish because we're also not just affected by what we think. We're also deeply affected by what we need and what we feel. And so again, then we can go through, okay, what, uh, yes, I've got this new information, but I'm still being harsh or whatever it is, being coercive. What's the next thing? What, what unmet needs do I have here? And what feelings do I have from my past that I can go and get some support with? I can go to my empathy buddy with. So again, it's this, what I love is it's really, really tangible and practical that we have, we not only have the understanding, but in ways that actually deeply affect our behavior and support us to help our children to return to feeling calm and relaxed and present as well. Mm. I love that, Marion. And I, I love that in the book as well, you were so clear about that, both of you about this this idea that yeah if we just think it's it's their thoughts and their lack of information that is causing them to behave in in these ways that we find so challenging that does lead us to to go into these these thoughts that they must be doing it on purpose then in order to be annoying or it must be because they're naughty or you can see how easy it is to go into those and how quickly that takes us away from feeling connected and compassionate with our children. And whereas instead, when you when you use it, as you say, as a checklist to decode the language of their behavior and what that's telling us about how they're feeling, it just allows us to stay compassionate, to stay connected, to stay loving, and therefore to support them in ways that actually help. So it's just so clear once you once you see it that way. And I loved how you described that in the book. Uh, one of the other things that you describe in the book beautifully is the three ways that our children can respond when they do have painful accumulated feelings and talk and and agitation and uncomfortableness in their body and you talk about this expression suppression or aggression and what happens in each of these states both internally and externally and what's happening in their nervous system and what behaviors we're likely to see can you talk a little bit more about that to explain that a bit more to parents well, I'd really love to acknowledge this is a little map that I came up with many years ago in the instructor mentoring course with um, Myra Jorba, who's an aware parenting instructor, and she was playing with it. And I said, can I can I borrow that and take it and run with it? And she said, yes. And what I love about it is it's just, again, what I like is having these maps, and that's what we put in, in our book, Lyle and I, is these maps to help us remember in the moment when, when we're stressed, when we've got a busy day, like what's going on. So the, the whole idea of this uh, little map is to be able to remember, okay, expression, repression, aggression, these are the options. But really, it's a little bit more complex than that. Because, again, if we're looking more at a nervous system point of view, repression or suppression is also includes dissociation. And when we're looking at aggression, it also includes hyperactivity. So that also might include the child who's just all over the place. And we can either look at that from a feelings perspective or a nervous system perspective. So in a feelings perspective, it really is either a child expresses their feelings in these healthy, normal, natural ways that all children are born with or babies are born with to cry or to rage with loving support or to, to laugh and to play with loving support and with often with vigorous movement. Um, and if they don't get to express enough of those feelings, then they will usually end up either so repressing them using all kinds of control patterns that we talk about in aware parenting that includes things like thumb sucking or uh, dummies, pacifiers, um, food, nose picking, hair twirling, screens, eating, you know, all these things that we do, these millions of ways that we do to suppress our feelings uh, as children and as adults too, or those feelings accumulate and they get to the point of aggression. So that might be hitting or biting or throwing or pushing or taking or just being, you know, just running around and pulling things off the shelves or just, you know, throwing stuff, all of that kind of thing. But we can also look at that from a nervous system perspective. That, uh, and I know you, you two know this inside out, back to front. And Aletha talks about it so beautifully in her newest book that we could look at it as either, you know, basically the fight, flight, freeze uh, mechanism or process. And that we, when we have things that we experience as stressful or traumatic that we perceive to be, which might not be for someone else, but it is for us, then when we go into that fight, flight, freeze, um, what will then often happen is we'll either move more, either some people will move more to going into freeze or dissociation, others will move more into that hyperactivity and the kind of running around being really uh, antsy and agitated. And what happens is children will often stay in that state if we don't support them in these natural processes to come out the other side, to release the stress hormones, to release all the tension that was built up in their bodies to fight or flee, which is why the tantrum 
I, I suddenly realized this. I know it's so obvious. I only realized it recently. Of course, attention, that, that kind of classic idea of the child on the floor of the supermarket kind of bashing their arms and legs is them actually releasing that fight or flight energy, fighting with their hands, fleeing with their legs. It's literally physical energy as well as emotional energy stored in their bodies. So what we're doing in Aware Parenting is supporting that natural process. And we're actually basically freeing ourselves from our own conditioning where we get in the way and trying to su suppress or um, subvert that process to actually cooperate with it. When they are trying to cry or they're trying to have a tantrum, when they're trying to play uh, with vigor vigorous movement, they're actually trying to re release and heal. So most of it is us, us, again, deconditioning ourselves and healing from our own hurts so that we can actually support that process. Now you explained it so beautifully, Marion. Uh, I I'd love to bring in too. It's uh, you know it, the information piece that we're talking about here of understanding it is so vital, and and extending that to well, what do we do as adults? Because you know it's such a huge thing that we see, and we do talk about this in the book, and we talk about this in in the suppression chapter of what we do as adults as well when we don't want to feel and what are we modeling to our children what are our children watching within us are they watching us go to our phones and numb out when we're feeling upset are they watching us get really angry and scream and yell and slam the door or you know growl at the dog or what are we modeling to our children and i think that's one of the big invitations with this work is to understand these um, tools and techniques and philosophies to bring to our children but as we've seen over the years, and I know you would see this too, Joss, we can't just use these tools and go, right, okay, it'll be fine. We have to do the work for ourselves as well. We have to inquire into ourselves as, well, what am I doing and what do I do with my feelings and what am I modelling to my children? And because only then I think as we shift and move our stories and, and are aware of that, then we're actually setting up you know, spaciousness for our children to know what it is to move your energy when you feel angry or upset or to have a big cry or to lean in for support or whatever it is that we need to do to help process our own stuff. So, it, you know, I think we can't look at one without the other because we it's all connected. Mm. Mm, thank you both. I loved how you answered that. And yeah, it is such a such a parallel journey, isn't it? As we uh, understand this more deeply about our children and then see see how it applies to ourselves as well. Yeah. So let's talk some more then about those powerful natural healing mechanisms that we have and that we recognize in aware parenting. And yeah, I loved how you described that in the book, how we hold space for our children and how we can create the emotional safety to support their needs to be met and to listen to their feelings and so on. And again, you have this another great, beautiful list of three. So the first one that really you go into in detail is, is offering our children connection and listening. And it's interesting that our culture so misunderstands and demonizes crying and, and how to respond to it as well and how uncomfortable so many people are with the expression of feelings and so that's so common that children are either responded to quite harshly when they're experiencing painful feelings or they are distracted from that so do you want to say a little bit more about how how we listen to feelings and, and how that works yeah I think uh, you know it's <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to say within this. I'll try and, try and summarize it succinctly. Uh, I think you, you you touch on a beautiful point there, Joss, where you say, you know, tears and feelings have been demonized for a long time. You know, we've been we've been told very strongly, don't cry, don't be upset, um, you know, be strong, you know, and that and part of you know that is when we were choosing the title of the book and we we really we brought in the word resilient because we really wanted to open up that conversation as what is resilience? You know, resilience isn't just navigating something hard, sucking it up, moving on. Having that grit and just you know bearing down and keeping on going, we we talk about that really it is the opportunity to feel the feelings that we have connected to whatever is difficult, to lean into some support, to be heard within that and process it, so we then can actually move on. That's where we see that beautiful true resilience, and so crying is such a big part of that. And I think um, you know we've, I mean, all three of us here have seen the magic of what it is not only for ourselves when we cry, when we release our feelings, how much freer we feel afterwards, how we move into possibility when we feel stuck or when things feel overwhelmed. And then we see the evidence with our beautiful children is when they are wound 
wound up because perhaps they've been at kindergarten or daycare all day or at school all day or with the grandparents and they've had to be good all day and all those feelings are accumulating in their bodies and they come home and then we give them the wrong colour cup or we cut their sandwich the wrong way or their sister takes their toy or whatever it is and all of a sudden those big feelings come out. And so often we see that when there is safe enough safety there for a child to move into what those feelings are about, perhaps they are angry, perhaps they do have that tantrum and it moves into those tears, you can almost just see the tension and the stress start to leave their body as they cry and as they soften and as they want to come close to you and sit on your lap and snuggle and, and you know, have those big deep breaths and then you know, they pause and go, what's for dinner? Or they just move on to the, let's go jump on the trampoline and and it's done. And you see the powerful healing mechanism of what that release is. And and again, I think coming back to some of the points we've talked about, it's, it's a big stretch for a lot of people if they have not seen the evidence of this, because for most of us, we have stories and imprints around, it is not okay to cry and it is not okay to express our feelings. And for many adults that I'm sure we've all worked with, the stories are often if you were upset, you got sent to your room, you might have been smacked, you might have been shamed, you might have been told, I'll give you something to cry about, you might have been ignored. You know, most of us were not responded with com- responded to with compassion and empathy when we had those big feelings. So, of course, it can feel such a stretch when our children have those big releases to be present with them and to hold that space. And again, I think that evidence piece we often talk about is so powerful when we can begin to see the evidence of how much freer children feel once they have released those feelings, how relaxed their bodies are, how much more cooperative they are, how much kinder they might be to their siblings. There's so many beautiful things that we often see. I think then we can begin to go, wow, there's just this is this beautiful natural inbuilt healing mechanism that we all have that we've been told for a long time not to use. And actually it's one of the most powerful tools that we have being human. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to that, Marion? Uh, I said, no, I loved it all. Right. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I love that about, yeah, relearning that it's okay to cry and it's okay to express feelings and it's safe to do so. I love that. So what about the healing power of attachment play? And again, our culture so misunderstands the power of play and laughter and often misreads our children's invitations to play because we're coming at it through a totally different lens. How how does play, how can we use play to support that kind of connection and healing for our children? You know, I love this question. What I love is, as we notice, and I want, I imagine you two do too, is anytime we have a post on or the our podcast on um, playing before bed, that's, that's the biggest one, I think, for so many parents, because that is the time so where children innately, again, know how to feel relaxed. They have these innate relaxation processes, and one of them is to play. And, of course, our culture has the exact opposite thing is that oh we have to we have to make them calm down so there's this almost this kind of gargantuan battle between these innate processes that we're all born with and the cultural conditioning that tells us that we've internalized by the time we're parents that we have to do these things to make our children calm down and so basically if you think about it I think it's often really helpful for parents to think about if you've um watched a comedian on YouTube or you perhaps have been at a party and feeling a bit unsure or you're in a situation where you where you don't know someone and you you notice you start to giggle and laugh or you're watching a comedian and you laugh hysterically and actually notice oh I'm feeling so much more relaxed in my body and I sleep much more restfully that night is that again it's a completely misunderstood process as you said Joss again it's innate and children are constantly trying to release stress and trauma, mini traumas, usually through through play. And, and we always say it doesn't replace crying and raging, uh, often releases lighter feelings and feelings in terms of not being able to do things and feeling uncomfortable, feeling unsure, lighter fears, lighter feelings, those kinds of things. But children are constantly trying to do that. And one of the main ways to do that is by being silly and goofy, by being rambunctious, by being saying, you know, jumping on the bed and saying, you know, mom, dad, come and play with me and, you know, doing this stuff. And if we, I often say so many times, on the whole, babies and children aren't fighting sleep. It's us who are fighting their natural inbuilt relaxation processes. And the more we can get out of the way and actually stop 
stopping and actually join in with them and join in and they're being rambunctious you know inviting us to chase them around the house sorry they chase us around the house in a paraversal game and they push us over and we pretend to fall over in a big exaggerated way or we, we pretend that they keep on catching us and we're really surprised like how did you do it again or we come in and be even more silly and ridiculous by putting on the silly hat and making silly faces and and you know just playing really silly and goofy and they're laughing and laughing and laughing Again, they're releasing all those stress hormones from their bodies. They're releasing feelings of the day. And then they're either going to move into feeling calm and relaxed to sleep, or they might then actually start getting going into aggression. They might get pinchy or hitty or bitey, and we might then offer a loving limit. Not willing for you to do that, sweetheart. And I'm right here and I'm listening. Stop that behavior. And then they have the big cry afterwards. So often it, you know, there's that old adage, it will all end in tears. Often it does after crying. So sometimes, um, sorry, after laughter, sometimes laughter is enough to help them feel relaxed. Sometimes the laughter opens up the the floodgates for the tears and the rage to, to flow out beautifully. But again, these are all natural inbuilt processes. And the more we um, not only free ourselves from the conditioning, but also then do our own inner healing, because most of us did not get played with in these ways. Most of us got shamed. Most of us got shut down. Most of us got told to be serious. We live in a culture, you know, most schools you'll hear phrases like, you know, you're such a baby or, you know, you're so silly. Like all of that stuff is so shamed. So there's a lot of healing often for many of us to to actually become more comfortable again with joining in with this amazing 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 practice of play mm. yes 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 to all of that <laughs> so you spoke about loving limits there in your answer Marian, and I'm wondering again about how the power of that and if you want to talk more about that because again our culture misunderstands how to say no to our children in a loving way that actually supports them so uh, often it's like either being very authoritarian and going into that harsh power over with children or that really permissive and never actually saying no to anything uh, i love how you you describe in in the book and and how where parenting shows us how to use our nose with our children to support the release of accumulated feelings so that they do then become more calm more balanced more cooperative and all that kind of stuff what would you like to say about that? I'd love to really, I love how Aletha differentiates limits from loving limits. So sometimes we're, we're offering a limit, which is basically a limit with something we don't want to do. So we might have said, I'm going to take, I'm going to take to the part later on, and then we actually get really tired or something else shows up. And then we might actually just say, no, I'm not willing after all to take you to the park. And of course, our child might feel upset in response to that. And if so, we listen to the feelings if we if we can and if we're able to. Whereas a loving limit is in response to a child's behavior that is indicating accumulated feelings. So when we're saying no to the behavior, we're actually saying yes to the feelings. And that's one of the biggest, again, kind of paradigm shifts that actually we're not just going no, I'm not willing for you to hit your sister or no, I'm not willing for you to pull the bookshelves off the book off the book. Why do I always say that? The books off the bookshelves. Uh, but we're not just expecting to go, oh, okay, mummy, daddy, yes, sure. You know, of course I'm not going to do that. We, what we expect them to do in aware parenting is because we're saying no to the aggression. We're saying yes to the expression is that they then start moving into, ah, no, but I will. And they start moving into either crying or raging. And often we need to keep offering that limit to support those feelings to come out. And again, the more they come out in those beautiful, healthy ways through expression, through the crying and the raging and the vigorous movement, the more they release those accumulated feelings and the less they're going to do all those other things that we don't enjoy, the, the hitting and the biting, the pushing and the not being able to go to sleep and the waking up 17 times at night. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to mute myself. Lael, do you want to say more? <laughs> Yeah, look, you know, I, I really, I mean, of course, we we wrote this the book together and I second everything that you were saying. You know, I think, again, I, I always love to bring that perspective back in again of what we were shown around limits when we were children as well and what we're so often conditioned to do when it comes to setting limits with our kids and what was often done to us is often what we will default to. And I have found over the years, and I think we, we really do talk about this in the book, of that again, it's many of us have not been modeled what a healthy limit looks like. Like it's it, people often need to see what that is. 
and to actually have the feeling in their bodies of what it feels like to stay really present and grounded and to have a clear no but be open to what comes from that. It takes a lot of practice to learn how to do it. It was definitely something that took a lot of practice for me to learn how to do as a parent. And it's something that I find comes up again and again with the adults I work with. And, and you know, even in my school, when I'm training my team and my teachers and my guides around this, it's something that is so foreign to most people to know what it feels like in their bodies, to then be able to do it compassionately and to hold it with that center. And uh, it's, it's something that I think is a skill that we we need to learn and practice and and um, experience many times for us to be able to do it. And I think that's another piece with, you know, all of this beautiful word parenting. The theory makes so much sense to people, but because they have never often had a lived experience of it or they've never seen it in action, that's where it becomes tricky. So, you know, we all just need to have reality TV shows where um, people can actually see what it looks like, which I've always had an issue with because I'm like, I don't want people filming my family, but also it, it there is real power in seeing what it actually looks like and what, what it can be like so that um, parents go, okay, that's what a healthy limit looks like there. And I just, I mean, I love Marion's t- um, term, loving limit. It just encompasses it so beautifully uh, to for what's needed. And I often say to parents, you, you want to imagine that, you know, you are anchored like a tree, you have roots that go down into your earth, but your heart is open. That's the loving limit. You're setting the limit with your heart open. And and I think that makes sense for a lot of parents because they're like, ah, it's not coming from a place of powering over or aggression or, you know, rage. It's actually, you know, you're setting a loving limit when you are calm and when your heart is open. And that that I think is is such a beautiful thing to think about, to go, that's the goal of where we want to get to. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I loved that. Yeah. The lovingness and the limitness together, both at the same time. Yeah. And I and I loved how you described that as being such a hard thing to learn how to do. Of course, it is a really hard thing to learn how to do. We haven't received it. It's just like all the other aspects of aware parenting. If we haven't received that and we haven't seen it in action, it is really hard. And it took me a really long time to learn loving limits, probably longer than anything else, actually. And initially I wasn't very loving and then I wasn't very limity. And then I just <laughs> went, I just didn't do it at all. <laughs> Um, and so many times I tried to offer loving limits to my children and and really didn't manage for whatever reason. And so it's only been recently that I've learned how to do that. And now, of course, my children are grown up. And so they say, oh, mom, I'm, I'm really not willing for you to do that, like in a totally <laughs> jokey, take the mickey kind of way. So, yeah, so it's a really hard skill to learn. Mm. We almost need a club, don't we? The uh, we finally got loving limits. Club. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a t-shirt. I, I can do say the same. It's the same thing for me. It was the hardest thing. It took me about well, three years to even like re- really get that embodied sense that you described so clearly, Lel. And I still sometimes find them hard, even mm-hmm. now. Yeah, mm. yeah. Another thing that you describe beautifully in the book is around control patterns. We've touched on that briefly already, but you give such a beautiful description and such a wonderful invitation for self-compassion for parents around suppression of feelings, which I really loved. And I really love how you normalize that it is a natural survival mechanism that we're born with, just as the healing mechanisms are natural, so are the suppression mechanisms too. And so it really gave, gives that sense in your book of that, you know, we're not trying to get rid of control patterns. Instead, we're really looking at ways to support ourselves, to be willing to help our children and ourselves. And you talk about feeling more, expressing more and healing more without judgment, desperation or coercion. Really loved that. Is there anything you'd like to say about that? I just love to say too, which I think was another really pivotal piece in my learning over the years was that understanding around not having judgment about what we do and how actually those control patterns can sometimes serve us and be the safest things that we can do. And I think when we can understand that piece, it allows us to move from that judgment and shame that we might carry into compassion. Because as we talk about all the time, so often the answer is about leaning into compassion for ourselves, for our children, for every other human really. And when we can understand that, you know, we we're always coming from protection, which we are hardwired to keep ourselves safe. 
And if we grew up in an environment where we learned it is actually not okay for you to express these feelings, it is not okay for you to get angry because that could be dangerous in the family of origin that you're in, well, then the cleverest thing that you can do is to learn how to, um, you know, numb those feelings or to do something so that you don't express them because you, you are coming from a place of protection that says at all costs I must make sure that I'm okay. So when we can understand that, I think it just adds a whole other piece to allow us to shift whatever those control patterns are. Um, And that shift often comes through compassion. It comes through understanding. It comes through gently taking those steps towards some awareness in those moments. Oh, I'm doing this. What is going on for me? What else could I do in these moments to help us slowly begin to you know, slowly begin to put down that massive protection that we've got going on in order to feel, to come home to who we are. So I think for me, as just as a parent and as a human, understanding that piece around I've been doing these things I've been doing to keep myself safe is, again, it's that information piece that can help us then go, wow, I can shift and move some of this. I think it's so big. And it also allows us to to sit in a place of non-judgment for others because we can so easily be in a, a place of judgment with people who have very big addictions or who live a certain life and do a certain behavior. It's very easy to sit in judgment and go, well, look what they're doing. And yet behind all of whatever they're doing is often pain and protection and trauma and they're just trying to keep themselves safe in the in the easiest way they know how. And when we can look at it through that lens, it can make a whole lot more sense and allow us again to move towards all other humans with with deep compassion. I love that. I would also love to add, I think it can be so helpful, like particularly at this time of year, if people are listening in, in January, so many people will do things like New Year's resolutions. So we might want to give up things. We might want to give up chocolate or alcohol or whatever it is. And what I love about what Aware Parenting supports and how we talk about in the book and particularly in the last chapter where we offer some ways to support parents to do their own inner healing is that just as with a child, their um, nail biting is a really common thing that often for us as children or in earlier days, we might have experienced um, being punished or shamed when we bit our nails. So parents will try to stop the control pattern. But if we don't realize that we try to stop it, but we don't address the feelings underneath, those feelings still sit there and we'll need to do something else to to suppress our feelings or dissociate. It's the same for us as adults. We might want to give up chocolate or alcohol, but if we're not doing anything to either reduce the amount of stress that we're experiencing on a day-to-day level or increase the amount of emotional support and listening we have so that we can actually express those feelings rather than suppress them, we're just going to either find that it's almost impossible to do or we're going to just start doing something else instead to suppress our feelings so it's it's such a powerful understanding isn't it and you know we we really aim in this book to support parents to be more compassionate towards themselves and their children whenever there's suppression or dissociation because it is an amazing thing Mm. i don't think we would have survived as human beings without it no no, I love that. And I love that sense that you give in the book that in order to be able to shift, to become more aware of what we're doing and what our children are doing and, and to bring choice into that rather than just going into these automatic responses, there really has to be compassion there. And that's that's part of this compassion theme that just oozes through this book so beautifully. So you talk as well about staying calm and anchored to support our children with their big feelings so that they feel safe to release and they feel unconditionally loved and that we trust them with their feelings and their bodies and and so on. But it it requires a lot of us to to listen to feelings and to be able to hold that space because, of course, our our childhoods were often not, our feelings were not met in this way as, as children. So, you talk about you have this beautiful list on page 108 about the different things that we can do in the moment in order to stay stay offering that sense to our children of being grounded of being safe you talk about you know what we what information we can give ourselves how we can meet our needs in that moment and how we can offer ourselves empathy and compassion to what we're feeling in that moment i'd love you to to describe a bit more about that i think it's so helpful for people you want to do that, Marion, because you've got the book in front of you and I don't, so yeah, no, I don't know no, what we wrote. <laughs> well, it's really, yeah, going back to that list of three that, that we got from Aletha but, and just adjusted a little bit, it's really going again in the moment, like what we're thinking. Okay, so if we are 
if we're basically telling ourselves anything harsh about our child or ourselves, we are probably going to feel more more angry, we're going to get more reactive. So sometimes having a little, I, I always used to have a little mantra, which is, let me see if I can remember it. Um, they're not enjoying this. They're not doing it deliberately. They need my help. So we we invite you in the book to find your own little parenting mantra to, to actually have as a counterweight to the to our conditioned thoughts in, in the moment. So what we're thinking, that's that part. What we're needing, well, often we need things like connection, support, power, protection, presence, compassion. So again, we might have a little thing that we can do. Uh, and again, finding these practices for ourselves. So they might be putting a hand on your heart. Mine is connecting to my inner loving mother and hearing her, I'm right here with you. And often if I'm going into fight or flight in my parenting and I just hear that, I'm right here with you, that can support me to go, oh yes, I'm, I'm actually here, I'm present, I'm supported. Uh, it might be noticing your feet on the floor. It might be putting your arms ar around yourself. Again, like really developing these practices to support ourselves. And again, in the long term, the more we have things like empathy buddies or an aware parenting instructor to support us so that we're really getting our needs met on an ongoing um, basis, we're, we are going to be less likely to be reactive because unmet needs lead to uncomfortable feelings in our bodies, which makes it harder to respond compassionately. And then what we're feeling again, just reminding ourselves whatever we can just to, to and again, a little bit of self-empathy if we can. Gosh, I feel so frustrated right now internally. Uh, I remember one time we're at a big local festival. It's, I live in a very alternative town called Mullumbimby, and there was this massive, big, um, like, eco gardening beautiful festival we're out and uh i think it was soon after uh, my ex and i had separated and uh sonny had lots of big feelings and he was starting to hit he was starting to kind of lash out and basically i needed to walk through i can still remember as if it was yesterday walk through the whole as we we're at the right at the other end so i needed to walk through like thousands of people it seemed like with this child basically with my lovely son full of big feelings basically kind of hitting me and bashing me around the head and just uh, it, so in, inside my head, I was staying calm because I was saying, oh my God, I just feel so frustrated. I just, I just can't stand this. And everyone's looking at me. Oh my gosh, this is so hard. And so I managed to walk through that. So again, if we can change our inner dialogue and be compassionate with ourselves. And of course, we're going to feel all kinds of the biggest, most painfulest feelings as parents or whatever we can in the moment to be supported with that. But also, again, that's why we talk incessantly in the book about the, the, the um, absolute necessity of getting emotional support ourselves. We cannot, I'm going to say, I don't think we can listen to our children's feelings on an ongoing basis and do all the other elements of aware parenting too, because that's only one. If we're not having <clears throat> our own feelings heard, not only in the present moment in the DDC, which makes parenting hard, but because most of us have got a whole truckload lifetime of unexpressed feelings that our children help us connect with. So just lots of empathy and self-compassion in the moment, but also on an ongoing basis. Mm. I love that. Do you want to add anything to that, Lo? No, I just second all of that. <laughs> just, yeah. And 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 I relate so often. I relate, Marion, to your story walking through with, oh, yeah, there's so many times where I've been like, I'm just if I could really only say what I wanted to say in these moments and how do I then move that for myself? And, yeah, it's such a big part of it, such a big part. Mm, yeah, yeah, and it's such a huge process, learning, practising and learning how to do this as we learn how to embody this aware parenting more and more. But it's I, I love that. And I used to, I used to imagine myself or, or reassure myself that I was going to, as soon as this ended, I was going to be able to send my listening partner a message just going, oh, my God, I just listened to 45 minutes of feeling yes. so full on. And just knowing that I was going to do that sometimes yeah. just was like, yeah, that's okay. I'm not on my own with this. Yeah, so I used to compose text messages in my head yeah. <laughs> of sending it to my listening partner of what I was about to say. Yeah. Yes. Lots of swearing and lots of like, and lots of, there was always this sense of, oh my God, aware parenting is so amazing and it's so powerful, but it's also so hard sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Love that. So the final part of your absolutely beautiful book looks at the reparenting of ourselves that we've touched on as well. And you 
it's just so beautiful how you describe this process of like replace, replacing judgment and shame and guilt and internal criticism with, with more compassion and looking at self-care and prioritizing meeting our own needs and also finding ways to explore our thoughts and our feelings to, so that parenting can become this amazing healing journey of self-discovery and growth for us. And then in the book, you have this beautiful chapter at the end where you both go through the processes that you've used most to support yourselves with this and to support your clients to support themselves with this. What else would you like to share about that process? I would love to say that, you know, for me, and this has been a theme of what we've talked about, the information piece is really powerful, I think, when it comes to our own reparenting. And I think what I have discovered over the years is when we first begin to actually look at our stories, our past, where we've come from, it can actually, when we understand why we are perhaps the way we are or why we respond in the way we do, that to me is the first piece in helping people go, ah, oh, okay, that's why I'm doing that. I'm not bad. I'm not wrong. I'm, there's nothing wrong with me because I'm wanting to scream. You know, I am reacting because of that's what was modeled to me or because my powerlessness is there. Or So I think, you know, a lot of the questions that we have there in the back of the book are really to just to start the inquiry really to start the conversation going around and where did I come from and why what why am I the way I am and then I think that next piece of Marion's work which is so beautiful which is about changing the story and changing the inner narrative that we have is so powerful because most of it most people's inner dialogue is incredibly harsh and judgmental because that's what we've internalized from how we were brought up and and to begin to even play with words or different ways to respond to ourselves is a huge step. And and I think just knowing that healing is possible is powerful. And, and you know, there's many different processes and I'm all about, well, do what works for you, right, as long as you get there in the end. But I think that inquiry, that possibility of what it could look like, of leaning into what we do want it to be and what we want it to look like, to understanding the benefit of support and listening for ourselves. And of course, that big self-care piece of how do we take care of our own needs so we can turn up in the way we want. I think they're all such beautiful steps towards being the parent that we want to be or being the human that we want to be in the world. And, you know, we often talk about we doing the work, right? And doing the work is is looking often back at our stories and understanding and moving towards what we do want to be. And and I, you know, I feel so great in writing this book that we can plant some seeds for people to go, here's all the theory and understanding of how we can turn up with our children. And here is the next piece of how you can do all of that with your kids for yourself and, and what that could look like for you moving forward. Mm, yeah, I love that. I, well, I was going to say, I love that. And what I love about aware parenting and one of the many bazillion things is also that, you know, I knew about inner child work before being a parent. I trained as a psychotherapist. I knew about it, it all, but it was all a little bit, it wasn't, it didn't have the power it has. Like once we've listened to our child or uh, toddler having a big cry and we've said, you know, I'm right here with you and I'm listening and we've offered loving limits and all of those things, then it's exactly the same process internally if we want to, if that's the way we want to do that, of, of healing and listening to our inner children. And there's something so tangible about that to go, I know I know how to respond here and I've experienced it as a, as a parent and actually I can reparent myself in the same way, in a, in a way that is so tangible and so practical and so effective. You know, I wouldn't have believed that my inner dialogue could be as beautifully compassionate as it is now. I mean, it, the change is, you know, the change that's possible is incredible. And I think really aware parenting offers that exactly as you say, here, here's what you can do with your children. And also the next step is, you can do it with yourself too. Yeah. It's so beautiful, isn't it? It's so powerful. Yeah. And I love, I loved how you described that. So the book ends with this beautiful um, description of, of the bigger picture and, and your, your dreams and hopes for aware parenting. And you have this beautiful paragraph that, that says, and I quote, we are both deeply passionate about creating a more compassionate world for children. And we believe that starts with more love, acceptance and compassion for all things and a deep understanding of how feelings cause behavior. Together, we can help children become the compassionate and, and resilient adults they were born to be deeply connected with themselves and equipped with the true power they need to create change in the world. 
Wow. And I think so many of us come into aware parenting with such a micro perspective of our little families. And then slowly we realize how it applies to us and our partners and our friends and our people in the office and everybody we come into contact with. But then we have this big macro picture about the potential of this incredible approach for the world. What what else would you like to say about that? Is there anything else? Uh, you know I me, mean, I love the big picture, and I think that's what we exactly as you say that we all come to naturally is through that that personal experience of seeing the the power of aware parenting and to see actually it really it really is transformative on that bigger, bigger, bigger cultural level. Because imagine if 50% of parents see that when their child is hitting or not cooperating that you know oh what's you know what's the list of three things I can go through and they're changing their own inner dialogue and they're changing their interactions with partners and exes and friends the the ripple or the ripple on effect whatever that's saying is is it is tremendous and particularly in terms of you think about aggression in the uh, most core sense like the more children who get to express a lot of big feelings the less of those all that unexpressed trauma is being carried around often particularly by men but by women as well um, leading to all kinds of terrible things and wars and so on so it really has the the potential to transform our whole society and that's what we're here for we're all and I think all three of us and I think you know the whole aware parenting community is up for that to really make transformative change in the world I second all of that. <laughs> you said it beautifully. Yeah, I just it's bigger than us and I think it's time. You know, our our systems needed, our families, our education system, our medical system, all of it is has to shift now for a whole other way of how we respond to humans and feelings and who we are and trauma. And, you know, that's where we're going to create the change in the world. So, you know, I think it starts in our families right in the very beginning. And if we can do that, then that's, you know, and and all of us have got, you know, older children, teenagers, adults, you know, we see the impact of that, of having done this for a long time and then seeing who our children are in the world. The evidence is very clear, you know, when we look at them. And so I can imagine what it would be like when they have their own children and, and yeah, I think it is. It's it's time. It's what's needed. It's time, indeed. I've got this real sense that because of your beautiful book and then all the other people who are sharing amazing things about aware parenting too, that 2023 is going to be the year <laughs> that aware parenting goes from this small little niche thing to being so much more widely understood in the world. And, and mm-hmm. I really um, am so grateful to you both for for the part, the huge part that you're playing in this incredible book that you've written, which is just so insightful and clear and compassionate and inspiring and joyful and healing and, and all the good stuff. So I really highly recommend everybody to read it um, many times. And I, I think it's, it's, it's got the power really just to take aware parenting to to the next to the next level because of all these other elements that you include in it so thank you both so much mm. would you thank like you to share just... anything oh, yeah. else about what you're offering at the moment new year new starts new offerings new things i would actually say before then just a big thank you to you and and we are so willing for that we are so willing for that all that you said for it to really go to the next level now where parenting yeah it really is time mm, yes 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 um what for the oh, i've got a new immersion coming up in uh i think the second week of feb i'm about to start an eight-week immersion which is a bit of a deeper dive journey into our own stories for parents and um, I have got so many things happening this year, but I can't even think of this moment. I actually just looked at my calendar the other day and went, oh, my goodness, there's there's a lot. Um, I'm doing lots of speaking gigs this year all over Australia and some big things. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know anything right at this moment. So, <laughs> hey, if you want to come to my immersion, that's awesome. <laughs> Marion, you've always got beautiful things. What have you got going on? Yeah, I've got some upcoming. It's a, it's a where parenting focus for the next couple of months for me. I've got, oh, Joss and I, ta-da, the first thing, Joss and I have got a where parenting natural learning community starting up again for the second year. Uh, we can be showing more about that. And then I've got my where parenting with Marion course, uh, the second live round of that coming up. And then I've got the where parenting instructor mentoring course starting mm-hmm. again on the 1st of March. So that's, that's, that's yumminess. 
Oh, and I also wanted to say our book very soon, probably next week, will be available to buy on lots of places like Booktopia and Book Depository and lots of places, any place online where you get books um, and on Amazon as well. So if anybody was waiting to buy it somewhere else, it's as of next week, it'll be, it'll be out there. Amazing. Amazing. I can't wait to see it in Kmart. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Hardback, um, mm. hardback is coming. Uh, the audio books coming. Coming. And are, you, are, you, uh, are you reading that yourselves? Is it your voice? Yeah, we oh, will. Oh, yeah. yeah. We do, wouldn't we be willing for anyone else to read? <laughs> Unless it was, no, I don't think anyone. No, 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 no. We have to, we, we will be reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, look, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on again and sharing all your amazing wisdom. And I really, really recommend that everybody buys this book and reads this book and gives this book to anybody who they know who might have a child at some stage in their lives. Um, I'm so grateful. I really do appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you for having us, Joss. Thank you for all your beautiful support. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I do want to say if anyone does buy, please and send, take a picture of you or, you know, at the beach or wherever you're reading it and um, put it on uh, social media and tag us. We would love that. Oh, and please review us on Amazon and, because oh, then much more people will see it. So if you go and leave a review, if you've read it, and could you please leave a review? Because then it kind of ranks higher and then more people see it. So that would be awesome as well. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Joss. We love you. I so appreciate you. And just thank you for all that you're doing with your podcast and all your courses and offerings as well. I see us all all there. I had this image the other day come to me and I feel really touched. It's like we're all walking arm in arm and then behind us is thousands of people and we're all walking arm in arm. We're saying we will not shut up about aware parenting. And for anyone who wants to hear about it, we're here and we're going to keep on going until it is the mainstream form of parenting in the world. Mm, yes beautiful what a beautiful image yes i'm I'm in (laughs) thank you both thank you for joining me on aware parenting stories i hope you enjoyed this episode to find out more please visit my website www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at aware parenting with joss I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures. Mm -hmm.